insignificant irritants dominate our thoughts of others. Give us your heart, Lord, to see beyond their peculiarities and disruptive behavior as someone you came to save. In Christ we pray. Amen. Our promise of forgiveness from 1 John 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And our guidelines of gratitude from Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all the lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we can worship. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior. God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, he is, yes, he is, yes, he is, yes, he is. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord, every praise, every praise. Every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise is to our God. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you 
my sin and shame and love you came and gave amazing grace thank you for this love Lord thank you for the forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. Crown you now with many crowns, we reign Scripture reference for tis so sweet to trust in Jesus is Ephesians 1.12. In order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13 goes on to say, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with seal, 
the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The hymn was written by Louisa Sneed, whose life was a testament to trusting in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful blessing. You give us the privilege to trust in you. No matter what difficulties or trials or tribulations we have, we always know that you're by our side, carrying us, caring for us, and giving us strength. I praise you for that, and we thank you for the many rich blessings you provide our lives with, food, clothing, homes, family, all those things are from your hand. We are so rich, God. Give us, Lord, the ability to understand that every day. We thank you that these folks have their hearts turned and giving praise to you through their gifts of gratitude for what you've given to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing blood. Just in simple faith to plunge beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've grown. 
Thank you, brother. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this great day. It's always good to be in the house of God with the servants of God. Sharing our hearts, our joys, our sorrows, and being with you, God, as a group of people who really love you and desire to do your way. We pray for our great country. We love it. We know all the political fray and all the stuff that's going on, Lord, but we just pray that we can be faithful no matter what you call us to do. We know that you're in control and we ask you to guide and direct the leaders, the politicians the generals, the army, the, all that that goes on, Father. That, Lord, as you guide and direct, Lord, that we can be faithful in our mission as soldiers of the cross. We pray also, too, Father God, for the great men and women who put their lives in the line every day and the challenges that they have and the struggles that they go through. A lot of times things happen and they go through deep depths of despair and struggle in their lives, and nobody ever hears about that. I pray for the officer yesterday in our city that hit a pedestrian. I just pray for him right now. Pray for the family that lost that person, that, Lord, you'll bring comfort and peace to them, and also for that officer who's traumatized also and many others with him. We pray also, too, Lord, for our shut-ins. We think of uh, Lucille and Joyce and Karen. Their battle is every day. Be with them, Father. We pray also, too, for Howard's daughter, Mindy, and Shuri and their heart issues. We lift up Donnie Russell. We thank you for his continued progress. We thank you also for Howard and Betty Long as they continue to heal up from their cancer's treatments. We pray for Joyce Raglan, Lord, and thankful for the healing of her back. We also want to pray also for Janet neighbor and also too I want to pray for Brad we just be with him in this time right now that they worked with him with the doctors we give you praise and glory and honor too this morning that Nick is here with us today after a tremendous surgery Lord and we just continued for his healing and strength and continued moving forward in his life we pray also for Mr. Mack one of our teachers here that's got cancer and also for uh, <clears throat> Everett Long and for uh, Floyd, and also Jason Stevens and Samantha Mama, all these that are battling cancer. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for the challenges that we have this week, Lord, before us. People that we love that could be troubling to us or those situations that we have to deal with that could be troubling to us. Help us, Lord, just to be faithful and keep our eyes on you. We pray for those especially that we know that are under the grips of addiction. I think of Jordan as he's still in the hospital and for David and also Eric and Ricky 
and for Russell, Lord, we pray for him, for all of them that have, have this addiction that hurts their loved ones and hurts themselves and keeps them from you, Jesus. And I just pray they will find you, Lord, that you will guide them to see how beautiful you are and how they need you and how they do not need to be run by a bottle. And now, Father God, we pray that you'll open your word to us so that we can see the beauty that you have in store for us as soldiers, as runners, as athletes, as people who are Olympians for you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you all for your prayers. Uh, I'm going to have another glitch tomorrow. I'm going to see my cardiologist. And they may have to do something to my heart before my surgery on next Monday. But prayerfully that we can get that done so we can keep going forward in this uh, situation with my hip. But today I want to talk to you about being a spiritual champion. Running in this race of life, the Apostle Paul saw that in himself and in Timothy. And you and I are in this long distance run. Now, if you've ever run a marathon, you know how hard it is. If you've ever run a 440, you would know that. <clears throat> I remember one time I thought, you know, in high school I'd try out for doing the 440. You know, I make it three quarters around the track and I'm ahead of everybody. And then I hit what they call as rigor mortis corner. And all of a sudden, everything in my body said, freeze up, stop, don't go any further, drop right here. It was crazy. But that's the reality that sometimes we have in this life, that we're running this long distance race, this marathon, and you want to just give up. You just want to quit. You're overwhelmed by it. You know, there's seven characteristics they found that make runners, especially long distance runners, and Olympians, Olympians. It's because, number one, they see the future. We as Christians should be able to see that future and know what a great thing we've got ahead of us. And not ever give up. But continue to fight to live the life that Christ wants us to live. That we are fired up because we have not only the torch of the Olympia. We have the torch of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts. As we go and we travel into life. And as we have that power. If we come to God and we utilize the powers that he has within us through the Holy Spirit. And that we don't give up, but we bounce back. Even though there's trials and tribulations and all different kind of sidetracks that try to pull us off the path. If you want to read a good book, read Pilgrim's Progress. And that's the very thing about them. There's always on his way to Celestial City, there are things that want to pull him by. Pull him off the road. Despair. Anger. All of them just try to pull you off the road to the end zone, which is Jesus Christ in his Celestial City. And so we bounce back. And you see, our aim is high. The writer of the Hebrews says that so well. He says, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We strip off all the things that weigh us down, the sins, so that we can make it to the end. And that they never quit. You never quit until you're into the end zone. You never give in until you're into the past that banner and that you make sure that you understand that God is on your side and with that you can have that power and strength to continue on one of the saddest things is that's been lost in the church 
The church's priority has been gone from the Word of God to, more importantly, the world of entertainment. Churches are growing. Do you know why? Because they entertain very well. As Francis Chan, who had a big mega church in San Francisco, realized every Sunday they were trying to figure out what they could do better to make poor people want to come and stay at their church that was exciting and thrilling and entertaining rather than the Word of God. And what happens is the medium becomes more important than the message. And that it becomes irrelevant, but just to entertain Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And what he said there, we've left the age of exposition, which is reading books and deep digging deep, to the age of show business and entertaining ourselves. Whether or not it's true or not, it doesn't matter. As long as it entertains us, we can get a couple laughs. The most bizarrest, well, I don't know if it was the most, but one of them was... A megachurch had 10 people on their staff. And they hired Tugboat Taylor, a former WWF wrestler. And all 10 of them learned how to wrestle and they got matches, five matches between the 10 of them to fight on a Sunday morning during the church service. Oh my goodness, where have we gone? And this morning the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy. He wants to keep the main thing the main thing. And that medium does not matter. It's the message. All this other stuff is nonsense. And that he wants them to see. It's about the heart. And about living for God. And Paul, if we remember what we studied so far in this second Timothy, this is his last letter. If you remember, he's going to die after this. He's in prison waiting to be executed. And what he does is he tells Timothy the gospel's the message. That's the most important thing. And that even suffering, you will have strength in you if you continue to look to God through his grace. He will give you the power to overcome that suffering. And that he will prepare you. And he wants you to prepare faithful men who will stand in the gap, preach the word. And that he instructs them to continue to follow the examples of godly men from the Old Testament and himself. And stand firm on God's word. Because as we learned last week, verses 14 and through 17, that the sufficiency of what we have is the word of God. When you take the Bible, the Word of God, out of the equation, and that's what the church has done in some areas, we will find ourselves no longer at church. Paul wants to make that very crystal clear to to Timothy today. He says you need to have boldness and faithfulness with the gospel, the Word of God. And that you believe in the truth. Paul was saying this out of triumph. He knows he's going to die and he's ready to go. He's thinking in triumph. Many men have died. Napoleon. All at the end of all his conquering and all the great things. What was his last words? I'm getting ready to be food for the worms. That was it. He had no hope. 
Mahatma Gandhi, who had a chance to receive Christ. I had a friend who was a missionary in seminary who lived and knew Gandhi as a personal friend. But Gandhi never received Christ. He, in fact, he rejected Christ at the end. And he was despondent at the end. And he said, I'm praying for the light. How tragic. 19th century French <clears throat> statesman Talleyrand, the same way. He wound up doing many great things in France, but guess what? At the end, he was fatigued and he was tired and he was despondent and he felt all that he did was worthless. But here, Paul is triumphant because he knows the eternal factor of the race that which we run. And look what he says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul is calling Timothy with these verses. And he's saying to him, there will be people who are not going to put up with sound doctrine. They will mock you. They will laugh at it. They will say all kinds of things. But you keep focus on the end zone. They will try to stop you. But don't give up. There will be people who want to have good feelings. They want to have their ears itched. They want to, all these wonderful little gadgets to entertain them. But don't fall for it. Preach the truth. Feelings come and go, but the truth stands forever. And not only will they want them tickled, but they also want them being patted on the back and affirmed in which they're going in their lives. No greater life have we seen this in our generation is the Episcopalian Church. And after the Episcopalian churches, we've seen the Methodist, the Reformed Church, the Presbyterian, the, the Lutheran, many sects of the Protestant classical churches have fallen into suit. And that's why there's great division right now. That's why we left our denomination. Why? Well, because as from the Wall Street Journal, Catherine Kirsten wrote it very well. He said they forgot the word of God, the bedrock of Christianity. They left their moorings. We saw it this past week. If you saw the Super Bowl, were you at first impressed with Jesus washing the feet? Well, Jesus was washing feet, but if you get the message they were saying, they were saying include everybody and everybody can come in and there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. That's not what the Bible says. And instead of warning people, that message was saying we can include everybody in the realm. Not only did the Episcopalian church do that, okay? This is how far away from scripture now they've gone. And I don't mean to pick on the Episcopalian church because many other denominations are here with them. And that is they elected their first Muslim bishop. Now, what does that say? Does that say Jesus Christ is the only way? No, it does not. And we're including 
believers from other points to lead the church? What is that? You see, this is the state of Christianity. And my fear is that evangelical Christianity is sadly mustered too because it's shallow. Many of the big mega churches, and, and, and I, I'm excited that people are going to church, but what are they going for? Make me happy. Meet my needs. Tell me how I can just be a nice person and take care of me. And tell me I'm okay. Teach me how to be successful. And Bible doctrine, oh, that's boring. Oh, theology. Tell me stuff that I can go out tomorrow morning and be happy and peppy and enjoy life. Tell me some stories and jokes that I can be thrilled about being out there and be positive. But Paul puts the hammer down. <laughs> and what is he saying to this generation of preachers, and myself included? Preach the word. Preach God's word. Preach the truth. Don't get willy-nilly. People need to hear it. We need a world that needs to hear the word because they're dying and they have no clue that they're even going that way. Luther and Calvin both preached the word of God and it was the word. They weren't there to preach their ideas. I'm not here to preach my ideas. I'm not here to preach theories. I am not here to preach analysis of events. I'm not here to preach the latest gossip. I am here to preach these words from God's word. And that's what Paul says. Because notice what he puts there. Who is the judge of the living and the dead? And that is appearing and kingdom. They will see that. Their reality is, oh, we're just going to cross the rainbow bridge and everybody, all dogs go to heaven and we're going to go with our dogs. No, that's not what the Bible says. And in this world, we need to give the word out. That's what the Protestant Reformation was. It was there to turn things around, to get the church back on track. Luther never wanted to leave the church, but he wanted the church to get back on track to the word and not make up all these things. And that we need to understand that the Bible is the final authority in the church. And that is not being seen today. That the church who rejects the preaching of the word of God can't call themselves a church because they're not preaching the message. Oh, they may be preaching nice messages about life and everything, but if they're not grounded in the word, it's not a church. You might as well just go to the flower club or go someplace else where you can have some good time and friendship. But it's not preaching the word. That we see that you as Christians, myself included, when you walk into a church, you should expect to hear the preaching of the word of God. Whether it be Protestant or Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, we should expect to hear words from God. 
and nothing short of that. And we have the right to expect that because that's what the church is for. That's why Jesus pulled the church together. And what happens is we see preachers substituting opinions and political rhetoric and social commentary and all these antidotal stories, but the word of God is not being preached. And it's a serious problem. If the church preaches the word, will find itself at odds with the world. And folks, we will. When you mention that to friends, <laughs> I know I get on Facebook sometime and I get myself in trouble. Because when I see somebody pop a line, I did that the other day and I probably lost another friend. Well, you're all my friends, so I don't have to worry about that. And I made, I sent the scripture and I said, no, I know the Supreme Court Justice, she said that the body is the woman's body, but let me send this. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you see, for me and for every preacher, they have to understand. Look who we're preaching for. Paul says to Timothy, I, Solomon, charge you in the presence of your congregation? No. In the presence of your board of directors? No. Your consistory? No. Your session? No. I solemnly charge you to preach the word in front of who? God and Jesus Christ. And if God and Jesus Christ are not happy with your word, you're in trouble as a preacher. We will be held accountable for every word we say. It's a dangerous business, folks. And we must first preach God's word. Not for the applause of billions, but for the audience of one. In fact, that's the way we need to live our lives, each one of us. Who do you please in your life? Sometimes we can turn into people pleasers. I know when I was younger, I tried to be a people pleaser. Don't work. Then I read this great book by Oz Guinness called The Audience of One. <laughs> Whoa, what a book changed me radically. Because what Guinness said is that you live your life in the audience of that one being, God. And please Him and give glory to Him. And your life will be radically changed. And Paul has given this charge to Timothy. It's a weighty charge. It's heavy. And it's very serious. And it's like being in a court of law that we are, need to weigh our words. And that we are to follow Christ and speak for him. It's simple, but difficult. And Paul uses two terms in Greek. He uses one as the word of God, logos to theo, which is the word of God. And then he also logos athleas, which means the truth. It's the word of truth. That's what we share. And it's imperative that we give our friends that. You know, some of our friends 
that are imperiled are dependent on you being the contact of Christ in their lives. There have been some times that I've had people that I've talked to. One man I remember in particular, his wife came to our church and he didn't. And I remember I tried to share with him the gospel. And I really tried to see, help him to see that he needed Jesus. And little did I realize, but the next morning she called me. And here in the middle of the night, he, he had fallen off the ladder that day. And they took him to the hospital. He had a clot in his leg and it broke loose and went to his brain. And died. And in between that, I was able to talk to him. But I hope that he listened to what I said. And there's nothing more important than we speak the word to people. In and out of season, Paul says, whether it's a good time to do it or not, you got to do it. And it's not easy. Believe me, my friends. I've been put on the spot several times to speak up and I, I know to have something ready. A scripture. Something that's effective for people. We're in positions of power or whatever. And to speak the word. And there are people that come into your life that you may have that opportunity with. Maybe even by a bedside when they're dying. Be prepared to tell them how they can receive Jesus. And that Jesus can forgive their sins. See as he says in and out of season. You never know when that comes. And here you're in a situation. And a loved one. And we need to be persistently sharing that word. We need to exhort people. You see, and, and this is the beautiful thing. He says, look what he says. He says, you're here to reprove them. Show them when they're wrong. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you correct your kids? We know there's a battle. But your grandkids. My little granddaughter, I love her dearly. But we call her down. Because we don't want her running like a loose cannon throughout the world as she grows up to be an, a teenager. We know the Henyan way, and it can be out of control. And so we know we've got to stop it in the bottom right at the minute. And so we need to rebuke her. We need to reprove her and then say, now you need to see what you do. You shouldn't push your little one-year-old sister down when she's trying to learn how to walk. <laughs> Or when she has something, you come over and rip it away from her. Even though you don't want it, you want to take it from her. You don't do that. Teaching her respect. And then, look what he says, exhort, which means to encourage. You can be a better sister than that. You can help her, show her, and get her excited about being the big helper. Than being the ruthless, mean little sister. <laughs> I remember when I... First started preaching back in 1978. <laughs> and Paul said, endure sound doctrine. <laughs> oh, baby. I didn't realize what I stepped into the hornet's nest at the church I went to. And boy, every Sunday I had two elders in my face about what I said. Why do you say we need to be born again? Why do you say we need to repent? This Jesus stuff of being born again, you don't have to talk about that. Stop it. Ooh. They didn't realize that made me even want to do it more. How many people remember 
seeker services, how we try to make customer based. And that was Bill Hybels and trying to find seekers that were lost and try to bring them into the church, which is not a bad idea. But we're doing it, we're affirming them rather than showing them the gospel in some churches. And now we have the post-cultural churches. Those who speak of Phoenix Seminary, they had a young man get on the pulpit one Sunday and at a Phoenix Seminary, he says, you know what? A lot of us are sick of churches that make us that we have certain requirements that we have to fulfill for God. That we should just do whatever we want. Where did that come from? What theological class did that come out of? Don't you know that we're to honor God? He's the Holy One. And look at what Paul says. Why we preach. Who is to judge the living and the dead? That's the reality to this, folks. We have a message that's just not to help people feel better about life here. We need to help people understand that they need to be prepared for heaven and dying and be ready for it. And the word here means gospel. We stand before a judge. We're to tell the people so that they understand that there's a judgment to come. And that we need to help them see the truth from God's word. You know, sometimes we can be say we're Christians. But sometimes it's hard. Because there are things maybe in our lives that we have to get rid of before we can truly see the true Christ. Back in 1930, a preacher by the name of Karl Barth preached to a German audience in Lutheran church. And his message was on John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And he talked about how Jesus was a Jew. And how Hitler should not be taking the Jews and we should not be helping him to take the Jews to concentration camps. And many of the congregation got up and walked out. And when somebody said to her, what's your business? Where do you find that we shouldn't do that? And he said, read the text. What does the Bible say? For God so loved the what? The world. Jesus was a Jew. He came to save both the Jews and us Gentiles. And you don't see that. And when we preach, preach. When you speak, speak it for every opportunity of people around you. Reprove them. Correct them. Help them to see and encourage them to live a different life. And then Paul says to them, for the time has come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves teachers to accordance to their own desires. 
and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside from myths. But you be sober in all these things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is giving some sober words to Timothy now because he knows there's going to be a lot of people who reject this. I've had many friends who I loved and cared for. But sometimes I get rejected because of the message that we hold. This past week I was had a surprising discovery in my life of a close friend that I had when I first came here. We lifted for 10 years down at the gym. And he came here a couple Christmases and I've shared the gospel with him. But I never heard him say that he committed his life to Christ. My heart went through depression for a while this week. Because I was spent a lot of time with him, and we had a lot of good laughs, and I've talked to him about Christ many times. And you don't know what it's like. Well, you might probably do. A family that you love, or friends that you love, and you spend a lot of time with, and you realize that maybe they didn't accept Christ in their life, and that you won't see them again. And I want to go. I wanted to find his wife. I wasn't able to find her this week, but I'm gonna go down and see her this week. And it's sad because he was a fun guy, but he never was willing to go over the line. And Paul says to Timothy, "Fulfill your ministry. Make the word of God your primary objective. Jesus, it was his primary objective." He came to preach repentance. The apostles came and they preached the word of God. Thousands came to know Christ for their ministry. The early church fathers, they preached the word. Justin Martyr and his apology to the emperor, explaining to them why they got together on Sundays to celebrate this one who's the resurrected Lord. John Chalcedon, preach about being having the whole armor of God as a believer. The priority of the reformers was to preach the word. Tell the truth. And Luther's main objective was to make sure the church understood the indispensable for your spiritual welfare is the word of God. And Calvin said it's the true mark of the church that preaches the word of God. And from that point on, it still is that same way. And there was a guy by the name of Latimer who preached a sermon. And he said the sermon was about the plow and the seed and all that. But he said, do you know who the, the best farmer is? The most diligent farmer? He said, the devil. To try to snatch those seeds away. So Paul, now being prepared for his departure, wants us to go the distance. And the question is, are you ready to go the distance? 
What legacy do you have and what are you going to leave behind with your family and your friends? Will you have regrets? Were there things that you wish you would have done or said that you didn't? I was reading a, a wonderful expose about Billy Sunday. And he made sure that every day he did not go to bed without sharing the word of God to somebody. And what a powerful life he had. And that on his tombstone he had put, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He lived a disciplined life once his life was turned around. His direction was following Jesus. And he learned the secret of being a champion. I was reading about these Christian runners who, they learned the secret of running this awesome challenging race 10,000 foot above sea level and it's the hardest race you can ever race and only 10% finish but they learned and discovered that there were 90% of the people that set out for this 500 mile race never get there and only 10 make it but there's two things they always have in their mind Number one is they decide they would finish the trip no matter what. And number two, they expect difficulties along the way. And that's how they make it through. And Paul said, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And that time of my departure has come. He knows it's done. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to also all those who love his appearing. And you see what Paul is saying? No matter what it takes, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And if he wants to take my life now, I'm ready to go. And I'm not going to stop fighting. I'm not going to start running. I'm not going to stop believing until that final day. Until I finish the course. And then he says to us, don't give up. Timothy, don't quit until it's finally. He calls you through the finish line. And he says to us, Remember what you have ahead of you. Look what you're fighting for. He's laid up a crown of righteousness. It doesn't mean that we've earned it already. He says he's already got it laid there for you. Notice the tense that he uses. That he's given it to us by grace. And it's there for us. For just the taking. And the righteous judge is going to award us. Won't it be great to walk into heaven and hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And award it to us. And not only to us. 
to all believers throughout the world. Frank Borden, in 1930, he was the young man who had the Borden Milk Company, millions. But before he graduated high school, he went on a tour over in the Middle East. And he saw all the people that were bowing down to pagan idols. And his heart was so stirred in his heart in 1904. And that he found himself signing up to go to Princeton. First to Yale. And then to Princeton Seminary. So he can become a missionary. And he wrote in the end of his Bible, in the book of Revelation, at the end, he said, no reserves. And then what he did is he began to disband his part of the fortune of the Borden Milk Company. And give it all away. And then he finished his schooling and then went to the mission field. And he wrote under that part of the Bible, it says, no retreat, no going back. But now he was going to fully engage in missionary work. And at the end, when he got over there and started serving, he wrote underneath that, no regrets. Because it was for Jesus Christ. And he had no regrets. And God took him. Only after a few short years in the ministry. At 25. To be with him in heaven. Can you imagine what he got? <laughs> Did he get that well done? Thou good and faithful servant. My prayer is that each one of us. As we finish this race. That God will give us those words as we walk in. Through Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just give you praise and thanksgiving for being such an awesome God. We thank you for our salvation. And we thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to be your children and to go into the world. And be your Olympians. To fight the good fight. To share, to live, to love you. To be there with family and friends and to be enjoying the wonderful blessings you give us. Help us, Jesus, as we go through this life to keep pushing for the end zone where you are in completing this race in your glory. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Let's, let's stand and let's sing. Receive our benediction and sing coming again. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Coming again.